G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Pastor coming to you live from our studios in northwest Sydney. In fact, live and uninterrupted, Hunty. G'day, mate. Can I say uninterrupted? Absolutely. No sponsors, no ads. We are uninterrupted and we're live. Yeah, good. Good to have you here, mate. Mate, it's good to be here. I'd like to uh, give our listeners a welcome too. Now, I noticed this week, this is our second program. Indeed. We're pretty new at radio. Yes. We're actually television boys. That's right. Uh, Online television boys. We haven't done a lot of radio. Well, you have. I haven't. Not behind the microphone. This is a first for me. Yeah, but it's exciting to be on radio, isn't it? Yeah, they say I've got a good head for radio. (laughs) <laughs> In other words, we can't see you. That's for those of you who don't get that joke. This guy's bad at dad jokes. Dad jokes. Actually, that, that, that reminds me, you've got some new uh, toys on your mixer there Mate, this I've week. I've got all my colourful buttons now populated with sound effects. Can you share some of those well, sound effects? in case you say anything of any significance, I can give you an applause. You like that? Uh, well, listeners, <laughs> in 15 years of working with Hunty, never at any stage have I heard that button, so don't worry, you're not going to hear that. Is that it? <laughs> That's for all your dad jokes. I don't tell dad jokes. <laughs> in fact, the only one in this room who tells dad jokes is you, Hunty. <laughs> got it. Yeah. I've got another button for you. Yep. Um, in case you ask me a question I don't know the answer to, I'm going to play this. Okay, what's that? That's crickets. That's what's going on inside my head. When you can't, when you got, when I ask you a question, and there's no answer inside. Actually, we did a revelation seminar at the end of last year, and I got a few of those. Got a few answers. of those. Yes. Is that it? No, no. Look, if I want to send you into a, a lovely dream sequence or off to heaven, I can give you this. I like that. You like that? Yeah, I do. Can I hear that one again? That Absolutely. is nice. Nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. And I'm hoping that's the end of your. No, no, no. I've got more. Oh. In case you, in case you say anything, I'm not too sure about the facts. I can send you to the twilight zone. You know, I liked all the other buttons, but I don't like that one for some reason. And I'm taking that is it, isn't it? That's it, yeah. Well, Hunty, welcome. Thanks, mate. I'm glad to have you here. Always it's good glad. to be here. I don't know how I do, well, I know I can't do these programs without you. So glad to have you here. And to our listeners, I'd like to give you a great, big, warm welcome. And I hope and pray that you will see and hear Jesus in our program today. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. Hunty. Yes, mate. You're still watching the news on television? I do. Now, those who listened last week will know that Hunty and I have a little difference here. That's right. He watches the news on television. I read it online. I'm not connected to the TV with the chain. I do time shift. Yeah, you're not watching the same news at the same time every day. But you do, if you're gonna, you collect, you connect with the news on, um, on television. Well, I like it because I can be doing something else and it's in the background. And I like to be visual, so I like to see what's going on as well. Yeah, man, I don't even have a television. Well, I, I have know. a television, but it's not connected to an aerial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's because my wife banned me from television the day we got married. It's probably the best thing she ever did. But I watch the news. I, I, I read the news online. You watch the news and, and I, we talked about this last week. Certainly not going to bring this up every week, but Harry and Megan. So sad. That thing's just going on and on, and it's in the news every yeah, day. Yeah, I'd say it will be for a while. And it must be difficult for the Queen. Oh, for sure. I mean, she's into her 90s. You've got her husband who is, well, she's well into her 90s. Her husband would be 99 plus. He's about to turn 100. He's in hospital 
with heart problems. Yep. She's very sick. And you've got her family imploding in front of the world press. Yeah, I can't understand that. Why, why would you air your bad laundry in front of the world? Well, especially when most of us who come from families have experienced this one way or another. I, I don't know that there's ever been a family created by God on the planet that hasn't had at some times troubles. I know mine has. Yep. I'm not yep. sure about yours. That's right, yep. Um, and it's not like the Queen hasn't had some difficulties and challenges in the past either. No, well, just think of Diana. Well, even before that, Princess Margaret, oh, yeah. yep. her, her sister, there was always scuttlebutt around her, and, mm-hmm. and that was when I was a little boy, you know. I can barely remember that. And then you got, as you said, Diana. Yep. What a tragedy. Absolutely. I mean, can you ever forget those two little boys, her sons, walking behind the casket mm. at that mm-hmm. funeral? Mm-hmm. I think you were saying earlier when we were talking about this that you think that um, perhaps that's one of the reasons Harry's reacted like he well, has. Well, I think they both watched their mother get harangued mercilessly and endlessly by the media, and they watched... As the media chased her into the tunnel, they watched her crash and die. And so I guess now as, as Harry watches Megan being harangued by the media, it's got to be history repeating itself in his head. Yeah, it's not easy. It couldn't be easy for It couldn't them. be easy, yeah. You, did you know the Queen of England, or the Queen of the Commonwealth, she's our Queen too, did you know that she's the head of a church? Really? Yeah. She's a worldwide head of the Anglican Communion. Is that is that a figurehead or does she have some clout? Look, I, I don't know the answer to that completely, but I think she probably has a little bit of clout. Wow. It's more than just a figurehead. That's cool. So she bows, the Queen of, of, of the Commonwealth of England bows to another sovereign. That's right. And I was just thinking this week, I, I hope that she who bows to the great God of heaven is doing what we need to do when we have family troubles. And, and we've already acknowledged we all have family troubles. We do. We need to go to God Amen. in prayer yep. and ask for help. Daily. China. Yeah, wow, it's in the news at the moment, isn't it? Do you know much about China? Yeah, I, I, I like China. I've been there. I'm not talking Hong Kong. You've actually been to real China? I have been to real China. I've seen the terracotta soldiers. Have you been up on the wall of I've been the Great the, Wall? been to the Great Wall. How magnificent is that? Oh, I've always wanted to go on the Great Wall. You can wall see it from, from the moon. I always wanted to go on the Great Wall of China. don't think I ever will, but I always wanted to. Mm. You know, I've been reading in the press literally every single day there's a negative news article about Mm. China. Mm. China either restricting Australian trade or threatening our neighbours or sending warships in around the Philippines and my wife's home country, Indonesia, and impinging on, on fishing grounds and just doing all... There's a lot of negative news in the press about China. That's right. In fact, Australia just recently has joined uh, um, an alliance called the Quad, which is an alliance of uh, USA, India, Japan, Japan, and Australia. And, Australia. Mm. and it's not just an economic alliance; it's actually a military alliance. Really, I thought it was economic. No, it's a military alliance. They're they're in the Chinese Sea wow. with their warships in exercises, and so. There's the rumour, in fact, I was listening to one of our great preachers. He was at our church last week. Oh, yeah, Pastor John Carter. Yeah, John Carter. What a legend. Yeah, and he was sharing with us how he um, believes that it's possible that there'll be a hot war between China and the United States of America. So so you think that China's taking this quad as an aggressive act? Look, I don't know about quad, but I think China feels like they're besieged and they're surrounded by hostiles. Wow. And the quad could be part of it. But but when you hear all this uh all these rumors and all this news about China, it's easy for us in the West 
and in Australia to have a fairly negative view on China. But let me give you some facts. Yep. What do you think is the fastest growing nation in the world when it comes to Christianity? I have no idea. It's India. Wow. Can you believe it? God bless India. More people per day, and it's thousands, find Jesus who come from India than anywhere else in the world. Actually, we get quite a few people from India contacting our online ministry. Yeah, uh, the Find Jesus one. Where's that? www.findjesus.tv. That's where you can watch all the Aussie pastor live programs and pre-records, revelation seminars, Bible study seminars. That's where we have all of our material. Yeah, we get enormous response from India, actually. But guess who's number two? No idea. China. Really? That means that more people, other than India, are finding Christ in China than anywhere else in the world. I've had some amazing worship experiences in China. You're telling me you went to a church in China and there were thousands and thousands Yes, and the people there know how to worship, mate. Is it true that they go to church early Sabbath morning and stay right until midnight? They they enjoy fellowship and singing and lunch and sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. The the audience changes, but the music and the preaching continues. So they listen to preaching all day. All day. And Hunty, this producer director (laughs) Oh, dear, where are we going here? He puts me in a little... (laughs) <laughs> 25 to 30 minute time slot. And if I go over, he's sitting there winding me up from his spot at behind the, the test tech desk. I think what I'm trying to share with is the fact that although we in the West have this really negative view of China and perhaps their government does do some pretty nasty things, the reality is that the people of China, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians and those becoming Christians over there who we would be proud and happy to call our brothers and sisters. Amen. I think we should never forget that. Amen. As Jesus said, when you see these things happening, Luke 21, 28, Look up. When you see these things happening in the news, look up for your redemption draws nigh. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hunty. Yeah, mate. Almost two years ago. Now, we argue about this. We're allowed, are we allowed oh, to argue? here we go. <laughs> are we allowed to argue? Yeah, it's our program. <laughs> Plus, it's what we did naturally. We're good at it. <laughs> go they're, they're always really friendly arguments. We actually, we are best friends. We, we are, love each we other. We do. Um, almost two years ago, I invited you to a concert. Now, I remember I invited you late. I invited you on the Sabbath. After the concert. No. Yes. This, this is our point of disagreement. But let's follow the story. Okay. I went to a concert put on by the Anglican Communion next to the big Anglican church in the middle of town Yep, at the town hall. Yep. It was one of the most amazing religious concerts I've ever seen. In fact, Hunty, it yeah. inspired hymn sing, our first hymn sing at New Hope, where we filled the church up with over a thousand people and had a magnificent night ourselves. Nice. Now, at this concert, I was introduced well, I was sitting down in the crowd, but they introduced us to a group called City of Light. Yep. I was amazed when my son later told me that one of the singers in City of Light is his school teacher at school. Wow. So that was amazing. Nice. And they sang this beautiful song, and I want our listeners to hear it, Not I But Through Christ, and it is beautiful.
Welcome to the program today Someone who's been very special to me For 57 years In fact, Hunty Yeah He's known me longer than you have That's right That's my dad <laughs> Yes <laughs> His name is Keith Grolleman He's been a pastor for over 50 years A man of experience Welcome to the program, Dad Yeah, thanks, son Good to be on board with you yeah, and we're glad to have you. Now, you've been in the ministry for 50 years. You must have, uh, well, when I say you've been in the ministry for 50 years, I think you were active for 40 years, but in your retirement, you've been very active too. But tell us a little bit about the sort of places that you've been working for Jesus. Well, I was thinking about how many places I've preached the gospel in, uh, and it's about 21 different countries. Wow. Uh, worked in, uh, uh, in Europe. I worked in Asia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands. And, of course, Australia. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, taken for granted. Hey, yeah, you've had a very interesting life. In fact, I've often spoken to your dad and said, well, if the Lord was to take you, and, and God forbid, we want you to be around for many years yet, but you could say, well, thank you, Lord, I've had a great adventure. Yeah, you're dead right there. I'm very satisfied with the way the Lord has led me and guided and protected He's just a fantastic God, and to talk about his love and his care is just fantastic. You did a very interesting work in both Korea and Europe. Tell us a little bit about that. Where I was a chaplain to American forces, uh, and I worked out of Frankfurt and uh, all through Europe. So you worked out of Frankfurt and South Korea. You were working with the U.S. Army, is that right, as a chaplain? Yes. So were you working with them in a time of war or was this a time of peace? Well, the Iraq uh, problems were there uh, and the fighting and that sort of thing, yes. So what sort of work would you do with the soldiers? Uh, I would minister to them. Uh, There was a lot of, uh, I would say, sickness, you might say, mental sickness particularly uh, with the soldiers and uh, some of them were running away from God by joining up into the forces. Uh, but when they saw bullets, bombs and hand grenades being thrown at them, they suddenly found they needed a God. In fact, there were when it first started the uh, battle in Iraq, the American soldiers, 130,000, were on a, on a, on a uh, uh, what do you call it, out on the field. Patrol. And there was a, and there was a general there. And uh, he dismissed them, and they stood. He dismissed them a second time, said, Dismiss! And they still didn't move until one soldier stepped forward and saluted and said, Sir, you haven't sent a chaplain to pray for us. 130,000 soldiers would not move until they'd had a prayer to their God. So the American soldiers were quite religious. Well, when they saw bullets and bombs and hand grenades being thrown at them every day of the week, you know, they changed their minds about their real needs. So you started working with the U.S. Army in South Korea, is that right? Yes. How long were you there for? Nearly two years. Okay. And I thought I'd retire and go home. 
to Australia. But uh, the powers that be that I was working for said, no, you're not. You're going to Frankfurt, Germany, and you'll operate out of there uh, with the forces in uh, Europe. So you travelled, what, all across Europe to different bases? How did that work? Yeah, went as far north as England, uh, everything in uh, wherever they had a, a post. Now, a post uh, is a base to you and I, but they call them posts. And, you know, your observation, is is America really as powerful as some think? Devastatingly powerful. You go onto their bases, it doesn't matter whether it's Europe or Asia, you go onto a base and it might be Black Hawk helicopters and there might be 3,000 of them sitting there. You go to another spot uh, and there'd be fighter aircraft. You go to another spot. Um, and it would be a, a depot for equipment, etc. and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it's the most powerful force, I believe, on the earth. Yeah, it must have been a very interesting work. Um, Hunty and I were talking, this is a producer-director, just reminding our listeners, uh, before this interview, and you and Hunty actually, and this is amazing, isn't it? It's a small world. It is a small world. You two did some work out in Fiji and Tonga. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. You remember that, Hunty? Oh, that were good times. Do you know what? I actually enlisted Keith into the production unit, and he was my main cameraman for quite a number of productions. You can remember that, Dad? Yeah, I do, and loved every minute of it with Andrew. Mate, good times, eh? Yeah, great, mate. I remember one time I actually came with you guys. You were doing a program in Tonga, and... Uh, we went to Tonga, and I think you'd hired a church out, and you guys set it up with yep. cameras. I can't remember yep. what you're doing. I was Nuka- young. Nukalofa. It was just out of Nukalofa. It was it a church called Viney? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. And that was an amazing experience to watch you two at work, never dreaming that Hunty, who's a number of years older than me, of course, <laughs> I'd be working with him later on. Um, one of the things I love about talking to you, uh, Dad, Keith, is the fact that you've got all these wonderful stories of the providence and the power of God in your life, particularly when it comes to prayer. And there's one story, and this is, to be honest, this is why I got you onto the program today. I hope we can get you on a bit, actually, Dad, because uh, you're a very interesting fellow and you're an inspiring fellow. And I know you quite intimately, of course, being your son. You love Jesus Christ and you are uh, you are a man of prayer. Now, there's one story that I love. I'll never forget it. I've, I've told it many times myself as I've preached. I'm sure I haven't told it. Uh, as as powerfully as you have because you experience it. It's a story on the power of prayer, and it happened in Tahiti. Tell us that story, Dad. I had gone to Tahiti, and uh, then I had to go out to an island called Huahini for a week uh, and uh, share with the church family there, and then on to an island called Rayatia. Now, it was a journey in a uh, vessel, about a six, uh, what, what would we say? Oh, it was a cargo vessel anyway, probably two or three hundred feet long. And I had to get onto it in, at midnight, and it travelled for six hours, and we got to Rayatia. The time came where it birthed, and I had to go down the gangplank, and there's a Tahitian young man standing there uh, with a cardboard sheet, and it's got my name half spelt on it. And I point to myself, and I wave to him, and he 
waved to me, uh, giving me the indication to come over to him. So I go over with my case, etc., and he points to a speedboat that was tied up there yeah, as if to get in. So I did, and uh, we're away. He he takes the thing out into the ocean, and he, he points it into what I would say, space. I could not see another island that he was going to take us to. There was none there, wow. in my thinking. Wow. And so here he is now, the boat's doing probably 70 or 80 k's an hour, flat chat. He's sitting there, there's no compass, there's no GPS, well there weren't any, any anyway in those days, and no compass, and he's sitting there looking as happy as Larry, and I'm getting more worried. Every k we go, we get further away until finally the island that we got on board has disappeared. Wow. Now I'm really starting to think this is not very safe. I can't talk to this guy. I can't tell him to turn around and go back. I don't feel real good about this. He was, just sailed on, you might was say. Was the sea rough? No, it was calm, fortunately. But you couldn't see and, land anywhere. Oh, uh, and I got to the place where my head was turning around 360 degrees. Did he, did he, have, a, did, did he have a compass or anything in the boat? No. Wow. No, nothing on the deck. <laughs> nothing on the, uh, on the dash. Not a thing. Yep. Anyway, we go on. You see further and further and further. And I'm looking now for fishing boats or canoes or anything where there is some human contact should anything go wrong. And uh, there was nobody. Now, I'm 100% sure of that or 110% sure nobody else was in the vision of my sight at all. Now, just before we go on there, and I know Hunty knows the answer to this, if you can't see anybody on the ocean and you're out there on a boat, what sort of visibility do we have on the ocean on a clear, yeah, on a clear day, Hunty? 20 miles. So that's a 20, 30... 20, 30 k's. 30 k. That's how far you are from land if you can't see it. So... There's a minimum. You, you can see, Dad, on a clear day, which you had there, about 30 k's, and there wasn't a single person, boat, on the ocean, anywhere. That's correct. Okay. North, south, east or west, nothing. Yep. No, the the sea was calm, as you pointed out earlier, Uh, so it gave a clear view. uh, You know, there were no rough waves to hide behind, you might say, not a thing. Okay. So we carry on. Uh, And he gives me a smile now and again, and I smile back at him, and I say, I wish I could talk to this character. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a huge bang, an enormous bang. And the uh, uh, the bonnet or the thing that goes over the outboard engine blew off. It went up 20, 30 feet in the air and landed in the sea, of course, and disappeared. And now we're looking at flame going up about the same height. And I said, oh, Lord, no, no. Barb will read about this in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, missionary gone missing, etc. No sign. Who knows where? And uh, so, what do we do? We're looking at this. We realise that it won't be long, and uh, the fire will get down to the fuel tank. Now, when that happens, the fuel tank's going to blow up, and we're going to be in a sea of uh, fire that created by the the fuel. You're in real Speed. trouble. Big trouble, I did, tell you, big did trouble. The cow- now, remember, did the cowling blow off the engine? Yes. Did you do what? Just clean off. Wow. How mm-hmm. how high were the flames? Oh, 20, 30 feet. 
Raw flame. Wow. Raw flame, and we knew, I knew uh, that soon that fire would get to the fuel tank and there'd be another big bang and it'd be all over the water, alive, fire. Because you're a boating man. Um, Yeah, so when that happened, we looked at each other in fear and panic, I think, and then I thought, ah, pray, pray, pray. And do you know the prayer that I decided to take on board? Yep. It's a beauty. Yep. It's one I've used quite often, yep. particularly when you're in a hurry. And it was Peter's prayer. And it's, he said, Lord, save me. He was trying to walk on the water yeah. without looking at yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And it didn't work out too well for him. Yeah. At, initially, anyway. So we prayed. He prayed in Tahitian. I prayed in English. I found that out later. The next day, he said to me, he came to me and he said, I was praying too. Wow. And we prayed, Lord, save us. And I guess I prayed that maybe a dozen times, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. When all of a sudden, now this is the miracle of it all, we look out on the ocean, remembering that I'd look 360 degrees regularly. Yeah, yeah. Here is a boat, perhaps um, 100 metres, 200 metres away, with a big Tahitian man in it, and he's standing up with one foot on the edge of the boat uh, and the one hand on the steering wheel and under the right hand right arm is a big fire extinguisher and I said oh thank you Lord thank you Lord oh how wonderful is this and he comes over full speed throttles down gets his fire extinguisher out and goes puts the fire out and I said praise God thank you God thank you thank you thank you he knew what he was doing he came forward with his boat on an idle around to the front of our boat, got a, ro- a rope from his boat, tied ours onto the back of his, and he headed off over the horizon. Now, you've got to remember that there were no islands in sight, not a thing. Yeah. No boats, yeah. nothing. Yep. And he tows us over the horizon to this island that we were going to anyway. Yep. And we ran along the edge of that island, and there were lots of little... Uh, uh, jetties or, yeah little jetties and uh, canoes etc the people were fishermen yeah. that lived on the island yeah. they ate fish and that's how they lived and survived most of the time and he took us along maybe past 50 of these little parking spots for a boat and he stops at the right spot he points to us to get out of our boat get out get my case etc get everything out and uh, we bent over, got into the boat, brought it, brought the things out and put them on the jetty, turned around and say, thanks, buddy, great stuff, we really appreciate it. Would you like to come in and share with us for a while or something like that we had in mind? But i got to tell you, he wasn't there. I looked up to the, to the right and then I turned and looked to the left. There were no... Um, rocky outcrops that the boat could have hidden behind. There was nothing that could have protected him from our sight, but he was gone. So what is your conclusion? My conclusion is my prayer, our prayer, had been answered in a mighty way that the God of heaven, the Almighty, had said to one of his angels, go down and care for my minister down there. He needs urgent help. He'll be burnt to death. He'll never be heard of again until the second coming. So who do you think but that guy was? Who do you think that guy was? 
none other than an angel sent from the Lord. Wow. Now, that's the sort of thing that puts the hair on the back of your neck up, yep. isn't it? Yep. That, that's an incredible story. It's as true story. as I said here. It's as true as, as, it is as true as fire is real. You go ask the people that have gone through the bushfires where the fire is real, they'll say yes. Yeah. And I say yes to God. He is real. He is a hearing, hearing God, an answering God, a loving God, always interested in our welfare. Who would think he'd bother with two little characters in a in a boat in the middle of an ocean, miles away from any help anyway, too busy with everything else in the world and the universe? So Was he too busy? No. So you'd conclude then today, Dad, to our listeners that prayer does work. God does hear. Very important. Cast your bread upon the waters and he will hear you. Yes. Yeah. Every day. Pray, thank him for everything he does. Let him be the Lord of your life and you will have a rich, wonderful, powerful experience with God. It's a great story, Dad. Um, And I know you've got many, many more and we'll get you back to hear some of these stories because I think they're, they're inspiring and they give us hope in a world where prayer and God doesn't have a real big, um, part in people's lives it gives us hope that god is there that he does hear our prayers and that he will act on our behalf well thanks for joining us keith groleman my dad really appreciate that story and i hope we can get you back on again soon to tell some more of these wonderful stories that have happened to you in your life and in your ministry god bless you dad yeah new fellas too bye bye You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. Love my dad, hunty. He's a top bloke. He's a good guy, Mm. and he's full of stories. And I'll tell you what, if you'll let him, he'll sit you down, and he'll tell you those stories all day (laughs) and all night. Yep, yep. You know, when I was a little fellow, I remember my dad and mum sent me off with my auntie to a camp meeting in a place called Goulburn. And that camp meeting means all the Adventists of South New South Wales would gather together. There must have been four or five hundred. This is this is fifty four years ago. Wow. We'd all gather together and we'd sing songs and we'd listen to preaching. And I'd be sitting my my auntie who was looking after me said, I'd be sitting I'm three years old and I'd be sitting right down the front of the big tent. They'd be singing and they'd be preaching and one of the songs that I learnt at that camp meeting that I've never forgotten is this next song sung by the Cox family, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown?
Good old country music, hunty. That's a ripper. It even sounds like Dolly Parton. It does sound like Dolly Parton a bit, actually. <laughs> Love it. Probably about oh, a year or so ago, I found that song again. Yep. Hadn't heard it for a long, long time. And you know when you're the pastor of a church, <laughs> like I am, yep. New Hope Church here in the yep. northwest of Sydney, you can bring these songs in. That's right. So I brought that song into our church, and it's been a favourite ever since. Talking about, of course, when we get to heaven, stars of my crown, will there be anyone in heaven there because of my witness? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, look, that's why we do these radio and television programs. For sure. We want to witness Jesus. We want to tell you out there in radio land how wonderful Jesus is. That's right. And how you want him in your heart. For sure. Hey, hunty. Yes. COVID-19. Yes. Isn't that causing not just the sickness causing havoc and, you know, killing, yeah, yeah. what, over half a million people in the world or more, well more than that now. Yep. Isn't it causing, when you're talking about the vaccination, trouble out there in the community? What? And, and I'm asking, this is a kind of a Ask Hunty segment. Oh, <laughs> that's news to me. I just made that up <laughs> <Yeah>. then. <laughs> I gathered that. <laughs> hey, um, what's your view on the vaccine? Are you going to take it? Are you going to get it? Look... Let me rewind. I, I started paying attention to the whole COVID-19 and the vaccination thing when I noticed that more people were dying in America per day than died on 911. Yeah. So I started looking into it, and I'm convinced that, yes, when my number's up, I will gladly accept the vaccination. So you're going to go along with your wife, and, you, and your number's going to be up pretty quick because of your age, elderly age. <laughs> In fact, I think we're like they, they do all the vulnerable people and the old, old people first. That's and we're right. talking people over 65 or something. And then we're the next group. I'll need to get my, um, I'll need to get a doctor to, to say it's okay for my wife because my wife has pretty much zero immune system. So she's a special case. Actually, then COVID 19 would be a little bit of a worry to her. We've kept her kind of in mothballs for the last 12 months. Yeah, actually, during COVID-19, even here as a ministry, we've been fairly careful not to expose ourselves unnecessarily. Although I will say this. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Do you remember the boat that came into Sydney and brought COVID-19? Ribby Princess? Yeah, you remember that? I do. I think it was on the day that that boat landed. We were shooting for our... Find Jesus. Yep, television we in the show. city. I remember. You remember? It was, it was a couple of days later after the, after the virus had broke. So the virus had already broken. That's right. And this is how ignorant we were. To it. we actually went and had. Do you remember this lunch in Chinatown? Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> and Hunty, uh, I, I said to Hunty, "Do you want to sit down here and eat, or shall we just get it and go?" 
Well, I think we both agreed we'll sit down and eat. And I think we I think we did purchase some hand sanitizer on the way. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we yeah. did. And so yeah. we we kind of sanitized only because we couldn't find hand sanitizer. We got in there and here's all this hand sanitizer in one of the shops. And yep. so yep. Uh, so you're going to go get the injection. Yes. What about people who don't want to? Do you think we should have tolerance as a culture and as you know as a nation for that? Because the reason I ask that, Hunty, before you answer that. Even my own brother, I mean, you could not drag him to the clinic on the threat of an interrogation and torture. He is not having that COVID-19 injection no matter what you or the government say. How do you you relate to that personally? Me personally, I stand with the overwhelming evidence that an overwhelming number of doctors in the world who are standing up saying, I'll have the vaccination. Fauci in the US says, I'll have what well, he had it. All their lead medical practitioners here in Australia are saying, I'll have it when my number's up. Now, as far as tolerance goes, I'm probably not as tolerant as you. Like, I certainly wouldn't like to be working in a submarine with someone who wasn't vaccinated. I'm a pastor. We're bred into tolerance. What if you're, what if you're in a play and you're the back end of um, a donkey costume? I still think we should be tolerant. I really do. I think that I, I, I think that there are some dangers to these vaccines. Yes, I'm going to go and take it because I accept the dangers. Look, look, I look at it like this: if they came out and said, "Look," and this might seem like a bit of a ridiculous uh, argument, but it's how I see it: if they came out and said, "Look, bananas are the answer to COVID nineteen," so if you eat four bananas then you will not get COVID-19. Well, banana sales would go up and yep. do very well. But here's the thing, and it's the way that, it's just the way we are as humans. There would be a certain percentage of people who would have a reaction to eating bananas. Now, I know that because I've been watching you, because you have quite an adverse reaction to a number of foods. In fact, avocados. You, yeah, you had a little chocolate piece of chocolate hey. the other day. Hey, settle down. <laughs> In fact, it was it was two little pieces two little of chocolate, pieces. listeners. <laughs> but you had such a, 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 a awful reaction that you almost ended up in hospital. In fact, you were on the verge of going to hospital. I was. I was. And the fact is that it is true that there is a reaction to every vaccine that's ever been brought out. But you must make a decision on whether or not you're prepared to risk that reaction. And to me, the minuscule chance of a reaction, now it's there, I might have a reaction, but that minuscule react, chance to a reaction for me is not enough to stop me having the COVID-19 because I think the chances of me getting COVID-19 and dying from that are a lot greater. So I'm minimising my risks. I've got two comments. The um, security guard embroiled in the news in the last couple of days who caught the very powerful UK strain, they have determined that because he was vaccinated, he's probably not spreading it around in the community. Yeah, good. So that's a good thing for vaccination. Very now, positive. Now, when I said I don't want to go in a submarine with someone who's not vaccinated, I think the anti-vaxxers have a very good point when they say, well, if the vaccination works and you're vaccinated, what do you have to worry about? So I think you asked me... Uh, well, there's yeah. a simple answer before you go on to that. Yep. It's because vaccinations only have a 90, 85, 90% ah. um, uh, guarantee that they, that they will work for you. In fact, some of them are as low as 65%. Um, what about church? What would we do in church with, with members? Well, I can visitors? only talk for my church in northwest Sydney here. Will we block people that are not vaccinated? Not a chance. 
Really? No. You are welcome to my church. I don't care if you've got leprosy come into the church. <laughs> Our church is a wide church. The doors are open. Whether or you're a vaccination, um, pro-vax or you're anti-vax, you are welcome at New Hope Church. That's the way it will be. You know what I'm saying? As we conclude this uh, little discussion. I like it. I like it. I think I'm one with you. Let's you, know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Be kind to each other. Of course. And show tolerance. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. So be kind, hunty. Yes. Be kind to me. Absolutely. Even when I don't agree with you, be kind and gentle to me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he is this next song by a guy called Anders Vance, and he's a friend of both of ours, hunty. He is. In fact, he's a pastor here in Sydney. He's, he's, got, he's a very special pastor. He's a music pastor. He is, and he's got, yeah. a, he's got a church in the middle of Sydney, and he wrote this beautiful song. And it really is. It's got a catchy tune, and it's got fabulous words, Blind Man.
David Fat to the program. Welcome, David. Oh, hi. Yes, good to talk to you again. Thank you for having me. You know, we've been friends for a long time. Actually, I can't really remember where we first met. Can you? It'd probably be at church. Yeah, look, this I do know. Your wife, Doody, I actually grew up with her in Brisbane. And I think the first I remembered you, David, was perhaps as Doody's boyfriend and later Husband. Now, Duty was a nurse, I think, down here at the Sydney Adventist Hospital, and you were studying in dentistry school. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I later moved to Warunga, where I became your pastor, and you were one of the, and I remember clearly you were always one of the hardest working church members we had, and I've always appreciated that. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I was that hard working here. Uh, you're a good, your, your family is very valuable in our church there at Warunga. Now, you're a dentist. Just remind us, how long have you been a dentist for? Yeah, 37 years in private practice and loving all of it. And you retired just recently? About four years now. Okay, so you're still continuing at all in dentistry work or have you truly retired, uh, laid up the equipment and moved away completely? Yeah, sold the practice uh, and um, I still do a little bit of reading on dentistry but I have other interests now. Okay, well... You are my dentist, and I don't know whether you remember, but you are actually my own personal dentist for over 20 years. And oh, okay. Yeah, so you don't remember, but I remember every single <laughs> visit, Dr. Fat. <laughs> i got to admit, going to the dentist is is not one of my favourite pastimes, and probably our listeners would identify with that. No one really likes going to the dentist. But I want to ask you some really what I think are very important questions to our health today. And I know you know the answer because for 20 years you've been uh, encouraging me in this area. So the first one is, what do you think, as a, as a dentist, a doctor of 37 years, what do you think is the biggest problem dentists find with people's teeth today? Well, I suppose everyone knows about dental decay, mm-hmm. but the silent one is that gum disease. Gum disease. Is that how we know it? Is that is that what it's called, just gum disease? Well, that's the, lay, the layman's talk, but periodontal disease is the advanced gum disease, which can cause a lot of problems in the rest of your body, which most people... Probably know, some know, some don't know. What causes gum disease? Well, bacteria and and plaque. You heard that name, plaque. Yep. It's bacteria and bacterial products, which the body sends uh, its own fighting defense called inflammation. Yep. And then inflammation causes bleeding and swelling. And that inflammation 
causes gum loss, bone loss, and maybe that long-in-the-tooth expression you might hear. So is it is this gingivitis? Have I got that right, or am I, is that something different? Yeah, gingivitis is the term for the beginning stage of gum disease, ah. and periodontal disease is the advanced stage of gum disease. So how do I, as a person, I'm just a lay person, um, how do I know that I've got gum disease? Well, you, when you go into the dentist, they, you know, you might have your uh, gums measured. They measure your pockets, you know, the space under your gum. Yes. Tell if you've got um, uh, deep pockets where the bacteria might have been sleeping there for a long time and, 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 and awake and, and eating a gum away and making a crater. Yes. And then you might, your gums might be red or they might be inflamed sometimes. They might bleed. They might be running away from the tooth and receding and, um, there's some of the signs that you might get. Can you have gum disease and not realise it? You can. A lot of people didn't even know they had bone loss. And then they, they might say to you, how come my tooth's loose? And then you measure the pocket around their tooth and it might be eight millimetres, meaning eight millimetres of bone has been lost around that tooth and normal's about two, one to two. That's why that tooth's lost, loose, because, uh, you know, you haven't been looking after it properly. So is that why older people lose their teeth? It's one of the major reasons why older people lose their teeth is advanced gum disease. When you look at the population, if you've got someone who cleans their teeth every day, morning and night, what are the chances of them actually having gum disease? So I clean my teeth, I clean my teeth regularly, I use an electric toothbrush. Can I still get gum disease or or, or what's that? Yes, it's a very good question. And I suppose every patient has risk factors. Some patients have bad bacteria in their mouth and good bacteria. And some people say they clean their teeth, but when you look in their mouth, you know, and you've probably been to the dentist where they put that red dye on the plaque. Yes. You said you clean your teeth, but look here, you miss this part. You miss this part all the time. Or you don't clean between your teeth with floss or pixters or interproximal brushes, and there's always bacteria there eating the gum and causing inflammation there. So it's when people say they clean their teeth, do they really clean their teeth properly? Well, is, is a toothbrush enough? Sometimes not enough. Sometimes you know, you've got to clean in between. The toothbrush can clean the top of your tooth, the outside and the inside, but it can't get in between. And some of those craters are so deep that you have to use po- po- interproximal brushes like fixtures, which you can get at the supermarket, like a little toothbrush for cleaning in between. So floss can do it, but sometimes you've got to use something a little bit better. Funny you say that because I've just been to the dentist and uh – she uh, did a proper check over me. Of course, I would have been with you, Dr. Fat, but you've retired. So this is a I'm brand new... D- <laughs> so was I. This is a brand new dentist and and, uh, she- and I do clean my teeth. I'm actually fairly careful about it. But mm. she looked over it and uh, I did have gum disease uh, and I am a regular toothbrush cleaner. But what I was not and what I had stopped, and you'd warned me many, many times about this, is I had stopped flossing my teeth. Mm. Now, in importance, is it using your toothbrush or flossing? And, and what's that other thing you called you put in between your teeth? The Pixter. Oh, it's called an interpro- interproximal brush. It's one of the brands is Pixter. You're getting Woolies or Coles. Yeah. It's a, like a special interproximal brush for cleaning between your teeth because you've got big gaps between your teeth. So is it more important to clean your teeth with a toothbrush or flossing in a Pixter or is it they're all important? Remember, the toothbrush only cleans the top of your tooth, the outside and the inside. It never cleans between easily. So you want something that cleans between, and maybe floss will do it, but maybe there's such a big space there that floss can't do it properly, and an interproximal brush might be more effective. 
So you should really be using, you're really saying use all three. Uh, floss. Well, your dentist will give you advice, and when you get your pockets measured, if you've got like two millimetre spaces under the gum, then yeah. floss is adequate. But if you've got like four to six millimetre spaces, floss won't clean that cavern so easily. And you need a special brush for cleaning in there. Yeah, I'm afraid I had to get the special brush. And the mm. interesting thing is, as I started to use that special brush, I found that some of the areas in my gums would bleed. That's right. And Everyone says that. But after two or three weeks, that bleeding went away. Does that mean that my gums are becoming healthy again? Well, see, when you leave bacteria and bacterial products in a space, the gums are inflamed or swollen. And so when you first use that brush and that you try to clean that biofilm, that sticky film of bacteria off, it's bleeding. But once you start to clean it off, it, the gum starts to heal. You know, the body is fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist has said. Yeah. And the body will heal and the gums will become pink again. And that brush won't, won't make it inflamed anymore and will keep it clean. Oh, wow. It's, it's incredible. Now, if I don't take this seriously... What can be the repercussions health-wise? Does it just mean I lose my teeth as I get older? Well, I can get the, an implant or I can get false teeth. Uh, does that really matter or is there more serious uh, – that's serious enough too, but are there more serious health implications? Well, it, it's been well proven that there's the oral systemic link, that the bacteria in your mouth through inflammation can get to other parts of your body like your heart, your brain, your lungs, your kidney, your joints. So we know that if you have advanced gum disease, there's a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, stroke. And if you're pregnant, preterm baby, low birth weights, and uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and diabetes, and the list goes on. Wow. So you, probably want to have a, you probably want to have a healthy mouth, healthy gums, so they don't let those bad bugs get in. So there are people right now who have died because they didn't clean their teeth properly. Well, it's just a contribution to the chronic disease that we have in the population. Yeah. It's just a risk factor. It's a risk factor. It might not be the only cause. It's just a risk factor, that's all. Should just everybody... Like smoking, yeah, sorry, go on. Just like smoking is a risk factor and alcohol is a risk factor for certain things like oral cancer, you know, poor hygiene, oral hygiene is a risk factor and inflammation. Yeah. Um, should everybody go to the dentist? Well, I suppose when you go to the dentist, you, you look at your risk of disease. And is it better to wait till the problem happens or to diagnose and prevent, treat, educate, so that you know that you don't have oral cancer, that you don't have gum disease, yeah. you don't have wall facets and grinding and clenching and, and dental decay and other things. In your um, experience as a dentist, did you ever come across people who had oral cancer? I've seen some early stages and I've sent them off for pathology and to specialists, but, uh, but well, thank, thankfully they were okay. There was one patient I remember who had white plaques all over his mouth and I was heavy smoke and I was worried about him and he kept going for biopsy and that, but he was clear. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I was always worried about this patient that he would have an advanced stage of oral cancer, but he was okay. That's a rare event, I think. When I yeah. go to the dentist often, she... Or he used to be you, as I said. Now it's a female dentist. She's very good too. But when I go to the dentist, often they'll clean my teeth with what almost it sounds and feels like a drill. What's that yeah. about? Well, when you leave soft plaque there, it forms hardened calculus, like a hard crust, 
And if that stays there, it's got you've got inflammation around there. You know, the gum is inflamed, and so you want to scale that off. And so they use an ultrasonic scaler to plane the root to get those little hard, crusty things off the tooth, mm, mm. so that the gum is happy. And so it's uncomfortable sometimes because it, it's it might be sitting in inflamed tissue. Yeah, if you don't have you don't have inflamed tissue, it's not not that not that bad. And especially if it's under the gum, it's quite uncomfortable. And sometimes you have to anesthetize to get there and clean it properly because there's so much there. Yeah, she had to do that with me. She she actually mm. anaesthetised it because it was quite painful, but it it, it was um, something that she insisted on doing. In fact, she said she sent me away and she said, "Well, you, you've got to go away and you've got to do these three things: clean your teeth while you're doing that, um, floss it." And I'd stop doing that to my shame. Sorry, Doctor mm. Fat. But I've gone back <laughs> to flossing, and she said, "Make sure you're using the Pixter." And she gave me a five number five one or something or other. Does that sound? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and she said, then come back. Um, well, I've got to go back in a few weeks, but she said, when I come back, when you come back, I'll check those gums again. And I said, well, if there wasn't an improvement, what would happen then? She said, well, if, if they don't improve, then I would have to send you to a, a periodent, a periodentist. Is that periodontist? Gum specialist. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been very regular and very careful with cleaning my teeth since then and yeah, been encouraging my, my, my good old mate here, my producer, Andrew Hunt, who himself went to the dentist just the other day. I did, and all my teeth are happily getting twos and threes, but I did get one eight. And, and, and now I'm in trouble because that one tooth is a bit loose and I've now got to start flossing and pickstering and, oh, dear, the pain, the pain from the checkup. <laughs> so many needles. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that, you know, when they clean your teeth like that, is that something yeah. everybody should get done regularly whether or not they've got gum disease? Okay, so if you haven't got any plaque there and there's no stain, you don't need to clean. But if you've got calculus and plaque, you've got to get it off. And a toothbrush can't get calculus off. So if you've got bleeding and swelling and, then, and there's pockets and you clean it off, and then you come back and you measure it was three last time, it's three today, then you're stable. But if you're three last time and you're four today and you're five next day, you're getting worse. So you might not want to have tens and eights. You know, you get a loose tooth. So, so that's, that's, yeah, okay. So, so this cleaning of your teeth is yeah. not necessary for, that the dentist will do with the plaque, not really necessary for everybody. Not everybody's got plaque on their teeth. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I see many clean mouths that they've done such a good job that they're eating foods that don't stain their teeth. And, you know, they've had no calculus and plaque. It's very clean and they've got ones and twos. So why would they need a clean? Okay. Well, what sort of food should you eat if you if you really want to avoid this sort of damage to your gums? Is it, I, you just told me something I didn't know, obviously, or, or perhaps there are foods that are better for us than other foods. Is that right? Well, I suppose if you, if you look at the body's defense and inflammation, right, you probably want an anti-inflammatory diet, just like you would for prevention of heart disease, diabetes. You want a whole foods, plant-based diet is the ideal, but not a diet full of processed foods and a diet that's going to cause inflammation. Okay. Otherwise, you, you know, you can see some people's mouths, they're all inflamed all the time and, uh, you know, they've just got a very poor look to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what you're saying really is, is look after the health of your mouth. And if you look after the health of your mouth, you'll go a long way to looking after the, the health of your body. Yeah, it is a gateway to the rest of your body, as everyone knows. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. How often do you suggest a normal person visit the dentist? So I've got no toothaches. I don't think I've got plaque. Um, I clean my teeth regularly. How often would you suggest? Now, I can ask you this because you're retired. There's no vested interest here, but how often do you think we should go to the dentist? Yeah, it's a very good question, and I, I think you've got to look at the risk profile of that patient. You know, a patient that has a good diet, a good bacteria, one to two millimetre pockets, no decay, no broken teeth, you know, no wisdom teeth problems, no healthy gums, maybe just an annual checkup. You know, check for oral cancer, wear facets, all yes. those other things. But someone that's got, you know, diabetes, uh, it's got heart disease, it's got five millimetre pockets, got bleeding, got drinks Coke every day, well, you know, they're high risk, aren't they? Okay. So, so at a minimum once a year? I, I think it depends. You really, your dentist will tell you a risk and give you an answer and say to you, you're a high risk or low risk or a medium risk. Yeah, yeah. It depends on your, your, your outlook on life. I just only want to come in as a problem. Want to get a toothache? Well, I want to come in for prevention. I want to make sure that everything's right. I don't want to wait till a problem happens. <laughs> I'm laughing because Hunty and I, the producer director here, we're guys who yeah. come in with this toothaches. What drove you to the dentist the other week? I'd gone 10 years without visiting you, Dr. Fat, and I got a filling that cracked and fell out, and oh, my new dentist uh, looked at me and went, you've not been for a while, have you? <laughs> <laughs> so we promised to look after our gums a lot better, Dr. Fat, and I'll, I'll be watching Hunty and his diet very carefully to make sure that he's, he's uh, following the rules. Look, it's, it's wonderful to have you on board and give us this advice today, Dr. Fat. I, I, hope, and, I hope we can get you on again to talk about oral health because I think there's some other issues we could look at too which are very important but we appreciate your time today and and God bless you. Thank you for having me. Okay, see you next time. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Well, that was challenging, Hunty. Yes. Oh, all these changes we've got to make to our lives. Mm-hmm. In fact, the older you get, the feeling I get, is the older I get, well, especially as I've just been talking to Dr. Fat, is the older we get, the more we need to look after ourselves mm. and ensure that we are looking after our dental hygiene. More routine maintenance. Yeah, very, very important. Mm. Hey, you know one of the things I like about being the host of this show? Oh, what's that, Lloyd? I get to choose the music. I'm glad you said that. I actually, I can't sing a note. Uh, if you stand next to me in church and you're singing... Move away. I'm the guy that's got the headphones on the lapel microphone. Yeah, I know. You've done albums of me <laughs> singing. <laughs> but I love music. And one of the musicians, Christian musicians I've loved for many, many years is Michael Card. And this song, That's What Faith Must Be, it's one of his best.
the moment was right, he sent his own son, and he opened the way so that everyone could have hoped and believed that when time was done, he'd be able to make us one. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see, that's what faith must be. in me a reality that God is in Christ and that Christ's in me that with faith I see what is unseen to hear with my heart to see with my soul to be guided by a hand I cannot hold to trust in a way that I cannot see that's what faith must be I want to welcome Harold Harker back to the program today. I think he's going to become a regular because of his great stories. Welcome, Harold. Thank you, Lloyd. It's good to be with you again. Now, just to remind people who you are, you are now your most important job. You are a husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather. You have been a pastor, an administrator. You are a scholar. But for this program particularly, you are a historian. So I'm just so glad to have you on board. It's great to be here, and I love stories of history and how they apply to us today. Now, as I've said in a previous show, 20, 25 years ago, I was going through Europe with you and I came across with you a particular story that has indented itself in my mind. I could never forget this story. It's the story of Marie Duran, born in Privas, France in 1715. She was a Huguenot. And I think I'll start by asking you the question, back in 1715, what did it mean to be a Huguenot? Well, she came from France, and France was predominantly Catholic, but in Paris and then in Switzerland, a man by the name of John Calvin came to put the Bible first, and he wrote his first institutes of religion. Geneva became a Protestant city, and Huguenots came from the beliefs and writings of John Calvin, and they spread across France, and they believed that the the Bible was their sole authority and not a church and they would have their own little meetings uh, reading from the Bible. So Marie Duran really was a Bible believing Protestant living in Catholic France, is that correct? That's correct and in fact her home, if you go to the little village near Privis, you'll find it was a, a place where Huguenots came to meet because they had no churches. Did they meet in secret or were they allowed to meet openly? Was the state hostile to this? Yes, they weren't allowed to meet openly. 
and they would meet privately in a few houses or go out into the bush. In fact, they were called the desert preachers because these guys who were their pastors would meet people in different places out in the bush, in the desert there. So what would happen if they were caught in these days, back in 1700s, mid-1700s? What would have happened if they had been caught worshipping as Huguenots in Catholic France? Well, there were groups of soldiers and they were the police of the day of the country and they would grab them and take them and put them in prison. Many of them died for their faith in different prisons. You have a prison in the Tower of Constance, Nygmort. You have another one, the Tower of Crest. And these people, the Huguenots, were hunted for their faith. Wow. So Marie Duran, a Huguenot Protestant, a young girl, her, her brother actually was a pastor. Is that right? Yeah, her brother became a preacher uh, for the Huguenots and would go around, and that meant he was a wanted man, but so was his family wanted that way. So just because Marie's brother was a Huguenot preacher, she was wanted by the law, is that what you're saying, even though she was just a child? She was found guilty of something because her brother was a preacher. So what happens to Marie's brother? Well, he got arrested. And he was sent to a prison on an island just off the southern coast of France. Was he well treated? Who would like to have been in jails in those times? Do they let him go or does he end up... What they happens? let him go after a little while, but uh, they came after the rest of the family. Just like her brother was arrested, then her dad was arrested because he was the father of a preacher. <laughs> You wouldn't want to be related to a preacher back in those days. Um, okay, so Not she, at all. And Marie, of course, was related to a preacher. Well, her brother, yeah. So, so here she is, a young woman. She's about 15 years of age as this story gets going. Something happened to her at 15, which would be highly irregular in our culture, but very normal back then. What happened to Marie at 15 years of age? Well, it... 15 her father thought who's going to look after Marie if something happens to me so he wanted to get her married so he found a guy called Matthew Seri and said hey what about and so the two of them Matthew Seri married Marie in about 1730 when she was just 15 now we don't know much about that marriage or how much love there, there was there or not is that is that correct yeah, well, it lasted about a couple of years, I think, because her husband then, he gets arrested because he's married to a the sister of a preacher. <laughs> Man, so if your brother-in-law is a, is a pastor, a Huguenot pastor, um, really, you're still in trouble. If you've got any connection to the Huguenots, you're in trouble. That's, what, that's, that's kind of the times they lived in, correct? If you imagine on every town hall there would be wanted all these um, Huguenots, anyone who's a Huguenot is a wanted person. And just for loving the Bible and wanting to live as the Bible instructs and directs. Have to worship according to the freedom of their conscience and put the Bible first. That's what they were after. So when she's 17, so she's been married for two years Something terrible happens. Yep. Something awful happens Look, to Marie, which impacted her for the rest of her life. Tell me, tell us what happened to Marie at 17 years of age. 
Marie was just 17. She'd been married a couple of years and she gets arrested because she is the sister to a preacher and he's over on, a, on an island now in prison and she's brought and put in a prison in a massive stone prison called the Tower of Constance. And she stayed there. For how long? She wasn't let out. How long? Well, she stayed there for 38 years. Wow. Can you imagine that? No trial, just put in jail because you're the sister of a Huguenot preacher and you're left there to rot, as it were. Tell us about the Tower of Constance. Can you describe to us just briefly in word pictures what the Tower of Constance, her prison, was like? All right. Tower of Constance is located in a town called Aigues-Mortes in the southern part of France, right near the, the southern coast of France. So it's, it's coastal all around it and water and so on. There is a, a, a wall all around the town and in this tower there's a moat around it so you can't get in or out and the tower goes up and it's got a, a room up and a room down and it's as cold as anything in winter it's not a great place to be you can't get out in the sun and you're left there and fancy being there one two ten years but 38 years for your faith in jesus you know what i don't know whether you remember taking out to a group through the Tower of Constance, but I'll remember this for the rest of my life. It was in the middle of summer. The moment we walked into that big stone tower, it was like cold air, a blast of cold air from air conditioning hit us. It was a terrible place. And uh, to be incarcerated like that in a terrible cold stone prison for 38 years because you believed in Jesus and wanted to read the Bible. It was claustrophobic, and the windows, do you remember, they weren't yes. big, bright windows that you could look out over oh. the countryside. They were just kind of slits, weren't they? They were a couple of little side windows, yes. It, it, wasn't a, it was no palace. It was a prison of prisons. So she's there for 38 years. What does she actually do in this really very, I thought it was quite small considering room, what does she actually do for 38 years? Well, it was a women's prison mainly, and she became the leader of those. She would encourage all the other women prisoners. She would pray for them. They would sing about their faith. And so they tried to keep their faith strong by encouraging. She was the one who who did this leading all the others every every day you've just got this what are we going to and so you praise the lord you sing and you just encourage each other would she have had a bible or uh, anything there to read or was she just going on what she'd she been may have had she may have had something because she did write letters to different people outside and got them out somehow one even went to voltaire the atheist writer of france and switzerland so she wrote there and she wrote please get me out out of here but no one did anything it almost seems like as hard as it sounds and as difficult and challenging as it is god had a work for her in that prison and when jesus returns one day there'll i would imagine be many women who will know the lord for eternity because of her ministry in that prison for 38 years right but you know 
one thing that would really bug them because of their faith would be a visit that came every week to them. Who visited them and why? Well, well, a Catholic priest would come in and try and, and give them the option. Now, look, this is a terrible place. Why would you want to stay here any longer? You can go, we'll let you walk out as long as you renounce your Huguenot faith. Renounce your faith in Jesus and you can walk out. And none of them did. What a story. Fancy having an opportunity to get out of this hellhole every week and with an offer of freedom if you give up your faith. Mari is the highest epitome of someone whose faith will hold on in the worst circumstances. What a story of faith. I think the thing that impacted me the most really is encapsulated in this next question. What did she scratch? What did Marie Duran somehow etch, scratch into the concrete of that prison? Well, in the centre of the room, there was a, uh, a curb around a hole that went down. It had a grill on it. You couldn't get down, but you could look down to the, the, the bowels of the place. And on that curb, she scratches one word, resiste, I resist. She would never, ever give up her faith in the Bible and her Lord. And this word is there covered with glass to protect it from vandals today. Resist a, I resist. This is the story of Marie Durand. Was she ever released, Harold? Well, yeah, she, she was there for 38 years. But the, the year she was released, the prince, the local governor, came to visit the jail. He thought he'd better visit the, the things in his area. And he was aroused by Mari's strength of character and her state in prison. And he pitied her and he ordered her release. And so after 38 years... She's released on the 27th of of December, 1767. She went in there at 17. Now she's 53. So where did she go? You go in a young girl, you come out an old woman after those 38 years. So where did she then go? She's been released where to? Well, she came out in France, but she made her way across to the Netherlands to a place where there was a bit of religious freedom. And she found um, some refuge with the church in Amsterdam who took her in and she stayed there for about eight or nine years until she died. Is there any evidence that she ever got back with her husband, ever saw him again? No. No one knows that. We don't know anything about that, but he would have been imprisoned, then released, but she's there for years and years and years. We've got nothing about the rest of her marriage, nothing about that when she went to Amsterdam. So really when you look at her life, it seems like for Jesus, she denied herself and lost everything but gained her Lord and eternal life. Amen. You know, the story of Marie Durand touches my heart. Uh, Can you imagine someone who would go through all of that just to hold on to her faith? So she's an inspiring story for Christians of all ages. Hold on to the Lord. Don't give up your faith. Marie Durand, look what she went through. And there's an eternal prize waiting for her. When I went with you to the Tower of Constance in France, there were a lot of people there, tourists, visitors from all over the world. Yes. 
Why do they go to the Tower of Constance today? Well, it's seen as a place from the past. It's a medieval uh, fortress. It was a prison, mainly for women prisoners, and it's a tourist spot. But they read the story, and there they have um, um, people who represent, not people, but they have representations of Mari Duran and other women in there, and people are just picturing what the situation would have been like way back in the 1700s in this place where people didn't have the opportunity to believe as they wanted to and what they had to go through if they chose the Bible and Jesus above everything else. So people basically are going there and still being witnessed to today by the life of Marie Durand. Yeah, her, her whole story is it's a sermon in itself. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful story. Look, one last question, quick answer, because we're pretty much out of time. Why do you okay. think, what was it that made Marie Duran stand? And can we learn from her life? Well, I think she saw what Jesus had done for her. If he left heaven and came down to this place, which would have been a hell hole, hell hole compared to heaven, and he died, gave his life, and he loves us, and so she loved him in response. And I think it's just what Jesus means to us and how he's freed us from sin. Okay, we choose Jesus and we want to hold on to that more than anything else because only in him is the promise of eternal life. I think we could rightly say that Marie Durand knew the man that she was suffering for. She knew Jesus Christ. Thank you very much, Harold Hark, for a, another amazing story. God bless you, and I'll look forward to talking to you next time with another great story from the Reformation. God bless. Thank you. Bye then. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. You know what, Hunty? Yeah. You know what I remember most about that trip to France? What was that? We turn up at the Tower of Crest. It's the middle of summer. It's a steaming hot day. And here are people in the hundreds lined up outside of that tower to go inside to witness the story of Marie Durand. Wow. I think of all the stories, and I saw so many inspiring stories when I travelled through Europe with, past, with, with Pastor Harker, with Harold Harker on this particular trip. I think that's the story that impacted me the most. Mm. And I was thinking about her. You know what? The reason she was able to stand, in my view, is because she was a woman of prayer. Yep. And it leads us to our next song by one of my favourite artists, BJ Thomas. This is another country song. Sorry, hunty. Hunty's uh, country songs everywhere, mate. <laughs> when no one stands alone. Marie Duran never st- stood alone. And if you're a man or a woman of prayer, if you've got Jesus, you don't have to stand alone either. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low In the darkness as black as could be And my heart felt alone And I cried, oh Lord, don't 
a king I may live in a palace so tall With great riches to call my own But I don't know a thing In this whole wide world That's worse than being alone Hold my hand That is such a beautiful song. Take my hand, let me stand where no one has to stand alone. Wow. I think that's a story I get from these Reformation characters that Harold Harker keeps bringing to us week after week in this radio program, that no matter what happens to you, no matter what you face, you do not have to stand alone. That's right. And the reason for that, I think, above all else, is one thing. And you know what that is? Grace. Close. This is a live program, so he doesn't know the answers. Prayer. If we had one of those things there that goes, eh, you could actually press that now instead of a, a you know. Not even half a point for grace? No. No. It's prayer. Prayer, yeah. Like you said, it's prayer. Yeah. Because prayer is when you talk to God and he hears you, and you hear him. And we're going to talk about that more over the next few weeks on this radio program. But today what I want to share with you in a Bible study, listeners, is some of the simple, very simple truths about prayer. And I want to go to the Bible. And I'm going to look at what Paul, the great apostle, has to say about prayer first. And then I'm going to look at what Jesus, he gives us a model prayer. You know that, don't you, Hunty? He does. I mean, I learned this prayer when I was a little boy. Same. I've known it ever since. Same. Every Friday night we pray this prayer. We'll look at it in a minute. But let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Now, listen, listeners, if you have a Bible, if you have your Bible on an app on your phone, and if you haven't, you, you can get one easily. It, it, it's simple. Mm. Uh, get get the app. and So you can follow along each week in these Bible studies with with us. And I, I promise this to you, Hunty, and I promise the listeners, these Bible studies will always be easy. That's good. Anybody can understand them. And so today I'm going to talk about prayer, something that is very dear to my heart and to my soul. I couldn't, I couldn't be here today and share this Bible study without the wonder of prayer. And I hope our listeners get a, a sense of how important it is to me today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Thank you, Hunty. Yep, got it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done then you'll experience God's peace, 
which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So pray. Pray. Pray about anything and everything. That's right. And as a result, you'll get what? Peace. Peace. You can't, now listen to me today, you can't buy, it's impossible, you can't buy the peace that God will give you if you will just pray. And what is prayer? It's just you, in your language, in your words, from your mind, talking to God. Take everything to God, don't be anxious, and the peace that nobody else can understand will be in your heart and in your mind. You remember, Hunty, four or five years ago, I rang you up one night from emergency <laughs> at about two o'clock in the morning. I remember. Um, what? Oh. Had, you remember what had happened? I was so worried about you. <laughs> oh, something, I, I know the story, yeah. I, I don't know whether I should say this on radio, but sometimes the pastor can just be a real nut. <laughs> I went home to my house. I got to my house and I had locked myself out. I had surprise. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you knew me, you'd know why he's laughing. Keys, I lose wallet, keys. Phone. My, my mum calls me the absent-minded professor. Only thing she got wrong in that was the professor thing. <laughs> I, I I would think the absent-minded nut. But anyhow, this nut gets home. I'd locked myself out. I went around the back, and you remember I'd fitted an air conditioner, yep, little window rattler, little. Wi- there was a beauty. Was yeah I, that. That little rattler kept me cool on many a hot Sydney night. And there was a little gap. I reckon it would have been about 400 mil above the window yep. where I'd fitted this air conditioner. Now, if you go online, <laughs> www.findjesus.tv, you'll see the pastor's not a little boy. He's a big boy. In fact, I just bought a bike and I'm out there on the road every night exercising so this big boy's not as big as he once was. Good stuff too. He's a good thing. And I'm thinking to myself, I can fit through that gap. So I managed to get myself up on top of this air conditioner and I squeezed myself into the gap. And, Hunty, there was about a metre and a half between where I was in the window and the bed, but the bed was off to the side. And I thought, oh, I can do this. So I'll squeeze through and as I squeeze through, I'll land on the bed. That's right. Now the physics just wasn't there. The Superman launch happened. It was crazy. But? Well, I actually rang my dad before I did it, and he begged me. He said, Lloyd, please don't do it. Please don't do it. He actually told me, ring Hunty. <laughs> Hunty will get you He'll in. break it or something. I wasn't, he lived half an hour, still does, half an hour from me. I'm not waiting for Hunty. So squeeze in through this window. Tried to launch myself with absolutely no traction think, at all. I think you were on the doghouse, weren't you, from outside? Yeah, I was. I'd, I'd climbed up on the doghouse. So I don't think Ronald went forward. I think the doghouse went backwards. <laughs> no, I'd actually got myself up on top of the window rattle of the air conditioner and I'd pushed myself in. Yep. So I'm kind of on that, that equilibrium between I have to go forward or back. I decided to go forward. Yep. So I tried to launch myself. There's nothing to launch myself off. And I went through that window and crashed down onto the floor. Yeah, that was bad. You know, prayer had become so important to me and still is in my life. And I'll never forget this. The instant I landed on that floor, I actually did myself a grievous injury. You remember, I yep, yep. I really damaged my shoulder. I was worried you'd broken your neck. Yeah, everybody was. It was a really serious, grievous in, in, injury. I'm there on the carpet. I'm rolling around on the floor. And you know the first thing I did? What's that? I cried out to God in prayer. 
I have learnt to go to God in prayer in every situation, whether things are good or bad. My first call, whether I'm in trouble or whether I'm praising God, if something wonderful happens to me or something really bad happens to me, just life, my first call is to God in prayer. Mm. And I remember crying out on the floor. And I like remembering this. I don't like the story. I don't like the pain. But I like remembering this part, that in one of the most trying times of my life, the first place I went to, instantly, and it was instant, hunty, as I hit the floor and the pain shot through my neck, I can still feel it in my neck now, Mm. through my shoulder and neck, I went straight to God and I said, Lord, in prayer, Lord, save me. He did. Mm. That could have been so much worse. For sure. And I have learned in life to go to Jesus in prayer. Now, I'll share something personal that I don't share a lot. Sometimes don't know whether I should share these sorts of things publicly, but I've shared this on our television program that goes to over a million people a week. So this is not news, but mm. when I had a divorce, and I'm at the worst time in my life, hunty, and I could not sleep. You remember? You were around. I do. I had lost my wife, who I loved. I was fairly culpable in that, mind you. My children were with her. I was alone. You remember I couldn't sleep? Mm, yep. I'd go days with the, half an hour to an hour sleep a night. The black dog was chasing you. He fast. was. I was in deep depression and I was in a very bad place in life. Yep. But I never let go of prayer. Praise the Lord. And it was in the deep dark of the night, in the depression and the blackness of that experience, that I learned the sheer joy of prayer in one of the most difficult times I think I'll ever face. And there was many a time when I could not sleep, when Jesus would come to me and I'm in prayer. And he would put, it was like he literally put his arms around me as I lay in the bed. And I would weep in prayer to Christ. And it is my testimony that he sustained me through that, and in the storm, he gave me peace. Yep. One of the reasons why prayer is so important. So be anxious for nothing. If you fall through a window, don't be anxious. If you go through a terrible divorce, don't be anxious. If you go broke, no matter what terrible thing happens to you, don't be anxious, you've got prayer. Now Jesus gives us some simple instructions about how to pray. And I like these instructions. Mm. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Auntie, I'm going to read, get you to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 first. Just going to look at a couple of these instructions. And while he goes there, I just want to remind you, be a man or a woman of prayer. Don't be anxious. Go to God. I'm, I'm reminding you, and I'll keep reminding you this, you will have peace. Oh, we need peace, don't we, Hunty? We do. So this is how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, listen to what Jesus has to say. Matthew 6, verse 5 and 6, Hunty. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Okay, hunty, when you pray, it's not a big public thing. That's right. It's a, it's a deeply intimate, personal, private thing. Now, Hunty, um, we, we have a word for public prayer now. I think it's called virtue signalling. Some people can be like that. Yeah. We, we grew up in a Christian church. We've all seen, we've all seen 
men and women get up the front and do these great big pious prayers. Yes. I remember as a kid, oh. they'd go on for hours. Oh, no, no, it no. seemed like they'd go on for hours. They probably need four or five we, minutes. We had some people that would preach a sermon in a prayer. They would. And they sometimes would. the sermon in the prayer was preached at you and me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus says, don't be like that. No. He says, prayer is a deeply intimate thing. I'll tell you a story. I have learned to pray with God and just him and me. Yep. Often I do it just lying in bed down in the deep of the night. Man, I was up at 3 o'clock this morning, couldn't get back to sleep. I'm talking to the Lord. It's beautiful. I fell asleep and people say, oh, how can you fall asleep, you know, talking to the Lord? Well, I've got a bit of insomnia. I'm talking to the Lord. I fall asleep as I'm talking to the Lord. What a great way to beautiful. fall asleep talking to your best friend. Of course. Um, I was in my walk-in robe. This is before my divorce, actually. Yep. I have two little girls. Yep. Noisy little girls. <laughs> so what I do, and you need to do this if you want to have a good prayer life, find somewhere that's personal, that's private, that you can talk to the Lord. So I'd go into my walk-in robe and I'd pray. And it's dark and it's quiet and I had this intimate time with Jesus with a noisy family all around me. No one knew I was in my walk-in robe, auntie. Yep. One day my little girl, Hannah, she's three years old, she sees me walk into that robe, and she's not meant to, that walk-in robe. Right. So I'm praying, and I hear the door open, you know, yep. and I looked up just out of the corner of my eye, and there's light, and in walks this little three-year-old girl. Oh. It's such an emotional moment for me. Beautiful. She kneels down next to me. And so I just kept praying for about another ten minutes. Oh. Just silence in the place. This little girl is kneeling next to me the whole time. And as I finish that prayer... She said, Daddy, you're talking to Jesus, and I was talking to Jesus. Too. Oh, so be such a beautiful yep. thing. But that, that, that's the sort of thing prayer should be. It's intimate, it's deep, and you can pray and share and talk to God about anything. I go to him about the things that make me happy, that make me sad. I go to him, hunty, and talk to him in my words from my mind about my great weaknesses. And, man, I have lots of them. And I talk to him about the challenges and the weaknesses I have. He talks back to me. I'll share how he does that in the next week or two. And it's just the most wonderful, beautiful, inspiring experience to be talking to the great God of the universe. I am in contact with God in prayer, and he's in contact with me. Yep. And it's open to everybody. A yep. couple of other quick things, because we're always fast running out of time. Yep. Verse 7 and 8, what's the Lord say? What's Jesus say about? Now, this is Jesus, by the way, talking to his disciples and telling them and telling us, this is how you pray. So he's already said, don't make a big deal about it. It's a personal, intimate, private thing. I like this next thing, hunty. When you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Now stop there. Don't babble. Yeah. You know what he means by that? Don't repeat yourself. Don't chant. Exactly. When you pray, he's not interested in a prayer from a prayer book, and I mean that in no disrespect, hunty. That's right. He doesn't want to hear you reciting some prayer book or some prayer that you know off by heart or some prayer that somebody tells you, even if it's a priest or a pastor, to pray and this will happen. No, no, no. God wants to hear from your heart how you're thinking in your words directly from you. He wants to hear from you, Hunter. That's right. He wants to hear from me. Listener, he wants to hear from 
you. Pray from your heart. If you're upset with God, tell him you're upset. If you're happy with God and he's blessing you, talk and pray about the blessings. By the way, it reminds me of another thing, Auntie. Yep. We're freewheeling in this Bible study, That's it. brother. In the middle of my divorce, in the middle of the darkness, yep. and I'm going to close on this today. This is the power of prayer. and we're going to, This is prayer part one. We'll do part two and part three the next couple of weeks. So you need to stay on board with this show, this program if you want to know what, what yes. and how to pray. For sure. So I'm in the middle of the darkness. I'm in the middle of the depression. I, it was so bad that my boss, the president, had said, Lloyd, we don't want you in the church anymore. You need to remember this. Yeah. You need to stop yep. preaching. You yep. need to stop teaching. You need to go away. You need to, with God, fix yourself up. So I went from Sydney back home. Where am I from? Uh, Queensland. Queensland boy yes. from Brisbane to mum and dad. And things are dark and things are bad and I'm not sleeping. So bad my dad and mum got out of their bed. Went to the spare bedroom. They got in there. They put me in their bedroom because it was air conditioned, and they put the air conditioning oh. on, hoping I would sleep. You are much loved. I love my dad and mum. Yep. They love me. Yep. My dad said to me one day. He said, "Lloyd, this has got to stop." He said, "You go for a walk." And this is the power of prayer. Yep. He said, "I want you to pray." This is my deepest, darkest time. And he said, "When you pray, I want you to remember the good things God has done for you." So I go on the walk. Dear Lord, thank you for a dad and mum who love me. Thank you for a, two girls, my daughters, who love me. That was it. Nice. Kind of felt a bit better. Every night I went on another walk and I would prayer walk and I'd start to thank God for the wonderful things he'd done for me from the depths of my heart. Beautiful. You know, every night it got easier. And eventually I'm going for a walk for an hour, hour and a half, and I'm thanking God for these wonderful things. It turned my life around, dragged me out of depression and took me back to the pulpit in my ministry and that's the power of prayer. And that's what Jesus is offering you today. Pray. Yep. yep. Pray to God in your words, from your heart. Remember to thank him and the peace that passes all understanding will be yours too.
Discouragement and the challenge of this world. Drive us, call us, Lord, to prayer with you so that we can experience peace and a life of no anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor and I love you, but I don't love you as much as God. Never forget it. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 